0: The Theonauts, episode 32. The one where we take five smooth stones for five new
1: giants. The Theonauts
2: podcast.
0: Christian news from around the globe.
1: In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter.
2: Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello,
1: all you Theostines out hey, there. How you doing? And Israelites alike. <laughs> I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theonauts. Theonauts. You know, we just can't get enough of having people in our little virtual studio. That's right; it's so fun. Yeah, it's it's enjoyable, and you know, even when they're not really here. Right. So today we have in our virtual studio um, Brian Gadala, a professional filmmaker, Ooh. novelist, and speaker. is uh, award-winning screenwriter. His first film, feature film, was "To End All War- Wars" in two thousand two, starring Kiefer Sutherland. One of my favorite movie seriously an amazing movie yeah. Woo-hoo. he's the author of the chronicles of the Nephilim book series which provides narrative concerning the fallen angels and their giant offspring the Nephilim uh, so anyway he is going to be here with us today talking about his new bo- book David Ascendant welcome to the show Brian Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, sure, it's, it's great. It's
0: always wonderful to have you, bud. Yeah, it's always
1: you, you Theostines. <laughs> I
2: like that. I like that
1: one. Yeah, it's good. It's, so it's always good for us to have an extra voice in the, in the studio. To it makes things interesting, to say the least. So right, right. we're excited. But so, how'd your day go, David? Uh, your week? It's been good. Yeah, I, yeah. I had um, the 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 s- most eventful thing of my week has been cleaning out my uh, sewage.
0: <laughs> yes well, we've all got to do that we had a sewer time. problem great. <laughs> it's great it's not, not fun. great actually not
1: <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> and it was in the the coldest time of the year so far
0: yeah <laughs> so yeah how'd you handle that oh
1: it was, it was not horrible. fun at all so
0: well uh i didn't have all that wonderful week
1: Oh, you got your your t- tooth yanked.
0: Yeah. Well, on Monday, I go into this guy to get my root canal done in Sherman. And this guy's like halfway through. He drills through my tooth, right? Halfway through, he's like, oh, you're going to have to go see a specialist. I'm like, you know, he's like, yeah, you're going to have to see it, you know. So I'm like, ah, forget that. I'm just going to go get the thing yanked and get a fake, you know, tooth put in. So I go to a different dentist the next day, Tuesday, and this is yesterday, no, was Tuesday yesterday? No, that was the day before yesterday. Yeah, that's, oh, See, they're all running it's, together. It's Thursday. I'm, you know. Anyway, so I go and I get this thing yanked and it breaks in the middle of him yanking it because it's <laughs> been drilled out and all this stuff. Ended up leaving a piece of the tooth in my mouth because he can't get it out. And I'm like, <laughs> whatever, I don't care. He's like, it may bother you when you're 80. And I'm like, look at me, doc. Does it look like I'm going to live till 80? <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, it was a quite interesting uh Ordeal for me, so I'm all hyped up on hydrochlorone. So yeah, uh, <laughs> if I start talking loopy, just understand. I'm,
1: so Brian, have it. you been interviewed by uh, anyone that's been high before? <laughs> <laughs>
2: high on life, <laughs> high on theology.
1: Ah, yes. Well, that, yeah. that that qualifies here.
0: Sure. So I I, I, I'm definitely high on theology as much <laughs> as I am on. Uh, Hydrocodone. (laughs) So you got some news for us? Oh, I do. And now, the news. I thought you were talking to Brian there for a second. (laughs) I'm like, wait, I'm the one that does the news. No, you're out. (laughs) Uh, That's right. Okay, here we go. So uh, the first couple stories I have uh, deal with uh, toy dolls. Does that sound fun? Well, that sounds like a blast. I'm really excited about that. Okay, so... Toys R Us has been petitioned and made to pull out one of their action figures from their store. It's the Breaking Bad action figure. <laughs> okay, talking about getting high. Yeah, seriously. Okay. Uh, in late October, a Florida woman, uh, mom, success- successfully positioned Toys R Us to remove from its stores a line of toys based on the Emmy Award winning... AMC television show Breaking Bad which tells the story of a high school chemistry teacher and his student sidekick who become crystal meth dealers <laughs> it's a great story so the action <laughs> yeah. figure in question she walks in <laughs> and she sees his action figure and it's the teacher and he has beside him a thing of the accessories are a bag of crystal meth and a thing <laughs> And a, this is at a toy store right, so right she freaks right, right. out and gets angry and, and says if you don't Move it! Gonna, I'm gonna sue you, and then she has a uh, uh, all these people sign a petition. So they pull the the toy. Um, what's really funny though is the response it gets, especially from uh, actor Aaron Paul. You know Aaron Paul. Um, he played Jesse Pinkman on the Breaking Bad series. He responded with this tweet. That's really funny. Wait, so Toys R Us pulled all the Breaking Bad figures from their shelves, and still sells Barbie. Hmm. I wonder which is more damaging. And then he says, and what about all those violent video games you sell, Toys R Us? Do you still have those? Florida bro- mom really messed it up for everyone. So he's pretty upset. Mm. And he's already started a petition to well, get them you know, back in the they've stores.
1: They've got Walking Dead action figures. Oh, I know. Toys R Us... Or uh, Toys R Us sell those?
0: I I don't know. I, mean, I you know I know they have every <laughs> kind of major movie action figure now because it's such a big market. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if you go to Comic Con or anything like you and I have, we've seen all those toys. Right? There's zombie toys, yeah. and dead girl toys, and I Hellraiser toys, and <laughs> I mean there's a bunch of great toys to play with. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, did. Did you like the Walking Dead, or not Walking Dead, uh, the uh, Breaking Bad series? You watched it. I haven't watched any of it. Have you not? No, Brian. Did you see? I have.
2: I have. I have to say, it was real. It was the show that I watched two years ago that started me into watching more television than movies. Now, really, because (laughs) television is the best storytelling. Not all of it. There's still a lot of garbage, but, but yeah. (laughs) But Breaking Bad. At first, I thought it was like sort of like bad in that you know heroizing a you know drug dealing guy. Right. But I think that it really was not. I think it was a very much of a moral tragedy tale, kind of like a. on, on a Shakespearean level, you know, where, right. where his his uh, his um, character flaw sends him into destruction. And that's a, that's a moral tale just as much as the reverse, you know?
0: Right. And I guess the story, the basis of it, it's like this guy, uh, if your back's against the wall, <laughs> like this yeah. guy has terminal cancer, right? And he yeah. has no way of <clears throat> taking care of it. And he has a family he has to take care of. And so he figures, my back's against the wall. I'm going to do the only thing I know how to get, you know. So it, it begs the question, what would you do if pushed to the limit, you know?
2: Yeah, it 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 um makes us reevaluate our own values and say how you know, how far will we go and 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 right. what what uh, what is the power of temptation? And then in the end, the movie does show that that all of your moral choices affect other people not just you mm. and and it's destructive in that sense and so in that way it's very very moral yeah interesting well,
0: i uh i gotta i gotta agree but don't
1: sell you. action figures about it
0: <laughs> 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 i gotta agree with you man television there's so many good shows out right now that are i oh, mean just yeah. great storytellers i'm yeah i'm so hooked on on a lot of them like gotham is a really good one right now that i'm I'm into but I don't I don't think I'd put it on the same stage as Breaking Bad but man Breaking Bad was
1: awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay,
0: so anyways, that's one of my
1: uh <laughs> my one of your action figure my stories. My action figure
0: story the other one has to do directly with Barbie herself. Um and this was on USA Today. I watched it this morning on the Today show. They were talking about it. It was really funny. These ladies are just like, "Oh my goodness, I can't relate," you know. It was really funny, but <laughs> So basically, uh, Barbie has come out with a new doll. Um, and I'm trying to pull the... Okay, there it is. Uh, her name is Lamily. Lamily. L a m m i l Lamily. Anyways, Lamely, uh, she costs about $25. And where Barbie's measurements are like 31, 18, 32 or whatever, Lamily is like... 31, 31, 31, right? She's just a <laughs> basic doll. Um, so, <laughs> God, I kid you not, it's crazy. So, uh, this is a silicon free, right? Silicon free Barbie. It's a non perfect Barbie, and their idea is because they get so much flack for making the perfect Barbies. <laughs> we'll throw out this one. This is a normal looking Barbie, like every other person. And not only that, you can get it with these stickers called lamely marks that include cellulite, stretch marks, freckles, acne, glasses, temporary tattoos, scratches, bruises, <laughs> mosquito bites, dirt stains, a cast, the list goes on and on of all these different little things you can stick on your lamely doll and take off to make her Normal, quote unquote, and so I just I find this so interesting that this is what this is what we're pushing. This towards.
1: is this is what a um, <laughs> politically correct society
0: lends itself to. That's right. I guess the reason it's called a lamely doll is because they started a crowd. Uh, this guy named Nikolai uh, Lamb started a crowdfunding campaign mm-hmm. to get this doll uh, in in production because. <coughs> You know, as he viewed it, the idea is, you know, we want we
1: want one that will give girls a positive self image. <laughs> the so. the picture I saw of that was like with with one of the acne stickers on her forehead, and it looked like these huge boils. <laughs> <laughs> on her head And I'm like wow I
0: just uh, It's so funny to me You know and I don't know There's so much political correctness with this stuff That I I could go either way But I just think it's hilarious that they actually produce one of these And now you can go buy a Lamely doll And put acne all over her and cellulite So it's great <laughs> I want her to make, make her look just like me So yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah. All <laughs> right. A um, couple more interesting things in the news. Uh, I don't know how much you've heard about the Bill Cosby uh, scandal that's been going on. Um, basically, there have been accusations, I guess, for quite a while of uh, Bill Cosby uh, sexually assaulting women um, uh, when he was younger. Uh, he would drug drug these women and then <laughs> sexually assault them. I guess there's... A, A new person has just come out um, amid a slew, and this is from Huffington Post, a slew of allegations against Bill Cosby. Another woman has come forward claiming that the comedian and actor sexually assaulted her. Uh, Therese Seringis, a 57-year-old registered nurse from uh, uh, Boca Ratan, Florida, uh, reached out to Huffington Post to tell her story 38 years after she says she was raped by Bill Cosby. Um Geese's accusations make her the seventh woman to publicly identify herself as a victim of Cosby. Um so there have been seven women who publicly come out and then a slew of other women who haven't actually uh have tried to remain anonymous. Um so it's really I, to me this is nuts <laughs> because here's Bill Cosby. I've always set Bill Cosby on this like pedestal right all my life, you know, cuz he's this uh, you know, clean comedian that you can go to and listen to. He's also a... Up- Very commonsensical. Right, commonsensical man, upstanding person. He actually, um, because of these allegations, he said two shows cancel on him. He was There was an NBC show that was about to come out, um, and they canceled, and then a, a Netflix uh, series that was going to come out with Cosby, and they canceled on... <laughs> hey, hey, hey! <laughs> wow really <laughs>
1: <laughs> well um the one thing that I saw that was it was kind of interesting about is he just came out with this meme generator did you did you see that part of the story no okay you know where how these people are creating memes on the internet yeah, where you put the Impact font across it. Sure, of course. (laughs) Across it. And so he released, you know, lots of pictures of him in this meme generator where you could go on there and put whatever you want. Well, naturally, you can imagine all the comments had to do with rape. (laughs) So he had to end up pulling it off. I have not seen
0: the memes. I'm going to have to go online and check out the Cosby memes. It's a sad thing. Yeah. It breaks my heart, to be honest with you. But at the same time, I mean, it just goes to show you that you never know we don't, you know, we can hold these people up. and
1: and, And yeah, this goes back to some of the stuff we talk about all the time. Yeah. It's like, you know, I mean, if he is guilty of that crime of those crimes, then yeah, he needs to pay like everybody else. But the flip side of that is we're all human. We all have weaknesses. We all have sins. We all, you know, and we seem like we always put certain people up on this pedestal. Like they couldn't possibly do such a thing. Right. When we're all, we all have a fallen nature. Right. And,
0: uh, you know, and so even Bill Cosby (laughs) is not exempt from that. Right. He's not
1: impervious of that.
0: Exactly. And it's really, you know, it goes to a guy we're going to talk about today, the subject of uh, Brian's book. Oh, yeah. Uh, David. King David. Probably one of the most prime examples in Scripture. I I love the fact
1: that David is in the Bible, man. Yeah. Because I can relate to him. Oh. He's not that guy that's way up here that you can't relate to. That's right. man. That's good. So.
0: Well, I got one more very interesting uh story for you. Uh Afton Burton was sixteen and living with her parents in Illinois when she discovered Charles Manson.
1: Now <laughs> isn't that great one line I like how you set it up oh, just like a love story like <laughs> When she discovered Charles Stars in her eyes. She found love. (laughs) love. She found love in Charles Manson. In the strangest of places. Now,
0: nine years later, her name is Star. She's changed her name. She's 25 years old, and she considers herself Charles Manson's wife, even though it isn't official yet. So they put (laughs) in the paperwork. It's not official yet. He filed for the first round of paperwork, says Star, uh, who says she's in love with the 79-year-old convicted murderer. I'm uh. I'm completely with him, and he's completely with me. It's what I was born for, you know? I don't know what else to say. <laughs> she says. Groovy. It's groovy, baby. It's all groovy. <laughs> so this 25-year-old uh, woman is in love with Charles Manson. 80-something-year-old, right? Yeah. 80-year-old. It's, yeah. It's crazy. I, no, 79-year-old. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Convicted murderer. Oh, my goodness. And I, I watched this clip. And she's basically all about
1: he didn't do it. This is all a frame. A bunch of liars. Helter Skelter is one of the most publicized spree killing things that. <laughs> I mean, it, it, oh yeah, but you know when you're when you're in love, he was he readily <laughs> admitted to all that. I mean, I don't I don't get all this. Oh my
0: goodness, it's just crazy to me. But uh, she's a really beautiful girl, and it's just it's sad. It's sad to see this happen. <laughs> It's a poor star. How does a 16-year-old get
1: infatuated with a serial killer anyway? That's a really good question. Because yeah. that's what drew her to go meet him yeah. like when she was young, like, Really young. Well,
0: and this is something that I've i will always speculated about the internet, right? I mean, we we go and we research things. People become infatuated with. I don't know about you, but I become infatuated with like uh, doing wiki searches and stuff, and and going nuts on you know finding the background because we have so much information at our fingertips. And I imagine this girl, I can just see her like just becoming more and more and more infatuated with this dude to the point where
2: I'm in love. Have you seen pictures of him? <laughs> But the guy's a crazy murderer. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what is she finding that that she's drawn to other than evil?
0: Uh i don't know it's, yeah, it's, it's a perverse but she she has um <clears throat> on this interview uh, she was holding pictures of him when he was like 18 19 years old and he's yeah. a good looking young man back then right yeah and, well he still had the crazy hair and yeah the wild eye thing going yeah. on he was a he was a handsome psychopath yeah and so uh <laughs> and know, the, the swastika between the eyes now he has a swastika <laughs> she actually uh in protest for his uh she 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 calls it unlawful uh, uh, withholding. Uh, uh, she has carved an X in her forehead, too.
2: And uh, Well, you know, they, so. they did the same thing with the Sarnoff brothers, you know, the guys who, the uh, mar- marathon bombers, you know how one of them survived and was in jail, and he was really handsome. And so Rolling Stone did a glorified picture of him on their cover. Yeah. And he had women also proposing to him, wanting to marry him.
0: Yeah, that is weird. You know, Rolling Stone actually had Charles Manson in this woman. Uh, mm-hmm. On the cover, I think it was last month or something.
1: Oh. it's pretty interesting. What kind of psychosis is that? I don't. I'm. I'm like. Uh, it'd be a very interesting thing to study. I
2: it. find a hard. I find it hard to figure out how you get there to begin with. Well, I, mean, I, I do. I personally believe that it's <clears> you know all all evil is still rooted in something good to, gone bad or twisted. So I actually think. That you know, God created women to be drawn towards strong men, and th- uh, the twisted version of strength is, of course, you know, violence, and sure. that's why women, a lot of women are, you know, keep choosing the same kind of violent men over and over because they're they're drawn to the strength of it, but it's of course twisted and wrong and evil. Uh-huh. But um, that's you know, and then that's why wimpy nice guys finish last because they're <laughs> not <really laughs>
0: right. You know, that's that's really true, especially if you think about like uh. The bestseller Fifty Shades of Grey, right? Which is it's kind of like bondage. It's bondage, yeah, Bondage, you know, chick porn, chick porn, basically. <laughs> but it's really interesting in how how popular that is. It seems to strike a chord with with women, and um, you know, if you if you go and look, I think you can study and find this out that uh, women, especially if there's been some kind of incident in their early uh, past. Um, that has deviated them in, in such a way they, they come away desiring that almost the violence. And the, yeah. The weird, I guess the kinkiness of that, <laughs> but it's really, I mean, this is taking it to the extreme. I want to date <laughs> Charles
1: Manson. I want to marry Charles Manson. Yeah. And not to we, even mention the difference in age there. That's right. kind of crazy. But,
2: yeah. But this so. is why, if you're a guy and you want to draw a, a, a good woman be a s be like King David, a strong man of war, but also has a weakness for women. Right. <laughs> that's exactly right.
0: You know, David had it all though, dude. He's like he's like the heart player. So he's the rock star in the in the, the you know warrior.
2: And the heart for God. You yeah, know? definitely. I mean, yeah.
0: It's pretty awesome. So, cool. anyways, we started out with Barbie dolls and ended with Charles Manson. There's your news <laughs> for today.
1: No, I didn't push the wrong button. We got some voicemail, huh? Actually we got just feedback. Oh good. But I thought I'd hit the voicemail button anyway since I hadn't done it in a while.
0: Thanks for getting me all excited. <laughs> only to tell me no voicemail. Okay, we've
1: been getting feedback on the GCT network website. Oh yeah? Yeah, because you know, whenever we post our episodes up there, we get uh people can comment right. on them. Right. So right. uh Uh, We've got a comment back From episode 19 Which was our Christian history part 3 Yes And uh, uh, The user's name is Supercurl Which I think is awesome And I have it on I I, I have it on good authority That uh, that is Ronna the Red Oaks Daughter Oh So She says Ronna
0: the Red Oaks Has a daughter Yeah (laughs) (laughs) No I'm joking Okay go ahead
1: (laughs) Now we can expect Some feedback from Ronna the Red Oaks That's right (laughs) (laughs) Anyway she says Hey guys I was really hoping To find parts One and two Of the Christian History Episodes to share With a friend Could you kindly Point me in the right Direction We did those episodes You know Before Before. we were on The GCT Network Right So uh, I sent her Links to that Nice We can get some Keep uh, sending Listeners our way Super Curl Thanks for writing to us That's uh, That's all the Feedback we got Nope Episode 30. Okay, good. <laughs> Top 10 Christian books. You know the... Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay. Uh, and I believe this was my daughter, because it just says Mandy. Mandy, and uh, my daughter's name You is have Mandy. a daughter? <laughs> 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 Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> she says, I'm late in chiming in on this episode, but I'll share one of my favorite Christian books, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. It has been the single most important resource for growing my marriage and helping me understand how my husband thinks. So thanks, Mandy. Huh. I, I haven't read letters. that book.
0: I've read it. I didn't like it. You're, but, you're a guy. Yeah, I guess so. My wife made me read that with her. And it was good. We we had some conversation and we totally found out that we're opposites in the way that we show love, I guess. But in the same way, I am I don't know. I think... <coughs> It's cookie cutter. Yeah, it's kind of over over analyzation and cookie
1: cutter. It it doesn't fit everybody. So. But you know, people do fit into little Oh yeah. Definitely. Into little uh archetypes pretty easily. Yeah. And
0: uh Well I'm a am a big proponent of uh
1: breaking the archetype. Breaking
0: archetypes. <laughs> <laughs> so I I by definition don't like definitions.
1: <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> then that's an archetype. There
0: you go. Oh <laughs> wow. Thanks, David. <laughs> Whatever. All right. So, uh,
1: so, so is that so, all we got? Yeah, that's all we got. Here we okay. go.
0: In the primeval history of Genesis, an ancient war began between the seed of the serpent and the seed of Eve. Fallen angels called Watchers begot a race of giants called Nephilim. Their goal, to stop the bloodline of the promised seed. But God had other plans. Chronicles of the Nephilim is a biblical fantasy series of novels that charts the rise and
1: fall of the Watchers and the Giants in the stories of the Bible and in between. Read all eight novels, from Noah Primeval,
0: all the way to Jesus Triumphant. Available on Kindle and paperback at Amazon.com. Go to Chroniclesofthenephilim.com. And enter a world of ancient history and biblical imagination. That's
1: Chronicles of the Nephilim.com. Cool.
0: Yeah, it gives me chills, kind of. <laughs> so, so
1: <laughs> in a world <laughs> where Nephilim conquered the earth. <laughs> no, uh, I actually, um, we didn't bring Brian on board to talk about Barbie dolls or anything like that. We're actually going to talk about uh, his new book, David Ascendant. And I'm sorry, Brian. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Well, that's okay. I forgive you. <laughs> but I will tell you, I read Noah Primeval and Enoch Primordial, and I'm working on the Gilgamesh book as we speak. Cool. So, and I got to say, I am into it big time. <laughs> cool. I love it. I I, I uh, I'm 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 always wondering how you're going to handle certain things that that you know come. Either write out of the text or write out of some extra biblical thing I've read. And then whenever I get to it, I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing it just, just the way that uh, I would imagine uh, is the best way to do it, you know? So, Great. which one's been your favorite book so far, Dave? <clears throat> um, I'm probably still leaning toward Noah, but Enoch was really good. Yeah. I mean, to me, Enoch was closer to the Fellowship of the Rings type of story. So cuz it's this band and they and they're moving around, they're moving on like the fellowship journey throughout the the story and um yeah I just really really liked the the whole concept and we got to, uh, a glimpse into the uh the council the holy council of god that, that was interesting
2: Oh yeah 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 that's
1: the divine council yeah, yeah divine council So yeah the um and and you know god points Enoch to kind of Present his case, and uh, that was really cool.
0: Right. So, how do you reconcile the divine counsel and God's supremacy? Haha. Uh-huh. <laughs> well,
2: well, you know, actually, i I come from a reformed perspective, so really, I actually, I, yeah, I actually do have a, a strong view of God's sovereignty without negating man's freedom. I just don't believe man has the absolute kind of freedom that that um, more Armenian views would would believe he has but I have to say that um, you know most of my Christian life uh, you know when I became a christian I I you know was sort of ushered into this evangelical Christianity so that's kind of the tradition I'm coming from and sure. and you know therefore I also had a very um, you know brought up with a very much uh, a high view of Scripture, you know, with the inspiration right. of Scripture and how it's God breathed and all that. So, I've always had a high view of of it in that sense. So, therefore, I've always I've changed my theology over over the years on like sometimes one hundred and eighty degrees on on some important issues as I study the Bible because I've always believed that we should um, submit our reason to the Bible. And we have to use our reason, but we ultimately have to submit our reason to the Bible because sometimes the Bible says weird things that don't may not make sense. But <laughs> but God's word has the authority over our puny reason, right? Amen. That's so right. So that's kind of been my approach. And therefore, <clears throat> as I studied this, and you know, I, you know, I always want to give my credit where credits due. And I, Michael Heiser is an evangelical scholar whose work, um, you know, is pretty much the doorway that opened my eyes to this, um, on on the divine counsel. But uh, as I read and studied it, I saw it was there, and it's definitely a kind of a bureaucratic viewpoint that I don't like personally right. from my <laughs> theological viewpoint. But if it's sure. in the Bible, yeah. I have to believe that. Right. But having you know, and and just for your listeners, in case you are not as familiar, you know, the notion of the divine council is, and you've you've read this stuff throughout the Bible. You just may not have realized how it's, it's, it's not just sort of a reference here or there, but it's actually a way of working that goes throughout the text. Huh. And that is that, you know, uh, we hear about God's heavenly host, right. uh, those who surround his throne, etc. Well, these are referred to as the sons of God and right. the sons of God show up in many passages. Um, Genesis six, but also Job one and two right. sons of God surround God, give him counsel. Um, and in, you know, first Kings 22, we, we read about that as well, where the, the, they, 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 bicker and debate and give God and and give counsel to God. And then God chooses what he's going to do. Right. (laughs) And yeah, I admit my, my Calvinistic tendencies don't like that. (laughs) But at the end of the day, yeah. Whatever means God uses, God is still sovereign behind it all, and that's really the, the ultimate meaning of how I understand the biblical sovereignty anyway. It's not something that I can figure out anyway, so I don't spend a lot of time or energy. Sure. I just sort of believe, you know, <clears throat> God's going God's, God's to work it all out, and how he does it, I don't know, and how he u- does that through some of these courses is through his m- sort of bureaucratic uh, uh, structure of... Divine beings that have angels, Malachim, sort of, and then higher above those are the sons of God. And then you've got the cherubim and the seraphim, right? Right. And these sons of God were the ones that are referred to in Genesis 6 when some of them came to earth mated with human women and bore them giants, or the nephilim, right. and that's the that's a controversial passage. But but those are the heavenly divine beings, and and some of them come from the throne of God. Not all of them, because the Bible says there's ten thousands upon ten thousands, so that's a myriad, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, these fallen ones are the ones that are referred to, and and are referred to throughout the text of the Bible, occasionally in various stories. And the giants also show up as well. And I used to read that stuff thinking. That's that's just weird stuff, and then skipped over it, but uh, <laughs> Michael Heiser's work sort of helped me see the big picture, how it's all threaded together, and so I decided – the Chronicles of the Nephilim is a series of – it's going to be eight books, maybe nine, but certainly eight, and it, I decided I wanted to retell all those stories that have giants in them <laughs> and tie them to this thread line that also connects with the sons of God and the divine counsel because sure. that's how God is sort of working out some of his plans – and uh, that that was what helped me determine what stories I'm going to tell from the Bible, and focus on those and expand them with my imagination. And so I do push the envelope <laughs> a little bit with a little bit of fantasy. But it's all it's basically spiritual warfare. It's a theological novel series yeah. where I reveal the world that we don't see, the spiritual warfare side of things, which we don't really know because right. you know we don't see it. So I I make stuff <laughs> up there, but I try to make it all consistent with what we do know in the biblical text. Text and so I'm filling in between the lines, and part of that is these these fallen. You know, the Book of Enoch says that there were 200 of them that fell, that came down to earth in the days of Noah. Right. Um, most of them were imprisoned in the earth, but then later the Bible talks as well in places like Daniel, where you've got these these sons of God are who are now called the Watchers in mm-hmm. Daniel 10 I think it is or 11 and it talks about them being authorities over nations like the the Prince of Persia and the Prince of Greece and these are spiritual divine beings who are authorities over these nations right and that's just like really weird and freaky and and I always <laughs> used to like to think that God alone kind of does it all but and the angels that ca- occasionally showed up in the Bible yeah okay I guess he uses those sometimes but studying it more you see that no he he they're used he uses a lot these right. angels a lot and it's yeah. part of his plan of working things out well, and is that's it, what fascinates isn't me
0: isn't it daniel where an angel comes to, is it daniel and he yeah. says uh, I'm sorry, I'm late, I was battling this... Uh, yes.
2: Uh, yes,
1: the prince the of, 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 of Persia. Yeah, And he was right. like... And then when he left, he was like, oh, by the way, now I got to go deal
2: with uh, Greece. and Right. <laughs> exactly The prince of Greece. And, and to me, you know, that was <clears> another <throat> weird passage that I just said, well, okay, that one passage and that's it, but I don't believe in that today or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but then I go back yeah. and I found out in Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 through 11, this is a really... A really important um, thing, because uh, Deuteronomy 32 talks about this, and it basically says that at the time of Babel, when God divided mankind, he he bore, he fixed the borders of the nations according to the number of the sons of God. Oh, yeah, B'nei that's ha- right. Elohim. What's that, right? What? And then it says, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So this notion of allotting nations as heritages, and of course the context of Deuteronomy 32, eight, or th- that whole passage of Deuteronomy 32 is that these pagan gods of the nations are demonic. You know, uh, in Deuteronomy right. 4, God or in other passages, God talks about how, you know, the pagans sacrifice unto demons, not to gods. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, how that works out, I don't know, but there's certainly a demonic reality. They're not just made-up nothings. Yeah. And, and I, so- I really
1: like the way that you've taken the the fallen angels, and and they've got an agenda. And, and, and this agenda is to to pervert mankind. Right by establishing their own power as gods. and of course you use them like creating these God names that we now know of through Sumerian and Babylonian um, writings and but th- these are like the angels masquerading as gods. and I thought that right. was really cool. You know then the one thing about the council the the divine Council scenes in Enoch that uh, one thing that it did to me and it's probably the same type of thing of what you're talking about, because we have this idea of who God is or whatever. But, you know, God is largely silent in all of this. He's just kind of letting it all happen before him. And he's, and Satan is accusing God of yeah. not treating people fairly. That's the right. whole, there's a lawsuit being brought for, before God by, right. by the accuser, Satan. And uh, Enoch is there to defend. And the thing that I kept thinking was you know, when is God going to stand up and tell him to shut up? <laughs> and of
2: course he never does. He lets it, he lets it play out. Huh. And, uh, and, and, well, you know, and that's not entirely made up. I mean, obviously that scene that I write is, but in the Bible, in, in, in the minor prophets, there, there's, there are references to the accuser coming and It's in Job, but it's also in, oh, I can't think of it right now off the top of my head, but Zechariah or one of those passages where uh, minor prophets where it talks about how Satan comes before the throne and he argues about the priest of uh, of Israel, Israel being dirty and the priests are dirty and all this <laughs> and it's 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 like a legal environment in the Bible biblical text God operates with this legal environment of acu- accusing and defending, and and uh, and that's how that the Satan actually Satan is not in in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament technically, his name is not a proper name as we're using it. It's it's really more the Satan, and with a small s. And the word Satan is simply means adversary. So it's more like an office, and this this divine being is, has this office of accusing, um, almost like it's a legal courtroom setting. And that's, that's another element of the divine counsel that comes out. And it huh. it's, it's a part of the text throughout. Well, that's but again, we a, that's don't interesting
0: see that you bring that up. So basically what you're saying through, through saying that uh, there could be a lot of Satan's in, in the old Testament, not just one, one yeah. Lucifer
1: Satan. Uh, yeah. If you go sure, with sure. the whole Lucifer thing, <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'm, I mean, I I make it one character just because it's a lot more convenient. For, it, it's better storytelling in that sense. But yeah, it's really more about an office, and and I also think that the the point here is it's not this Manichaean sort of, um, you know, a uh, 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 Star Wars thing where it's like, uh, you know, God on one side, Satan and his minions on the other. No, actually, <laughs> Satan in the Old Testament is really a it's. Yeah, he's he's not like a, an entirely good guy, but he is part of how God works out that God process. System. He's doing mm-hmm. God's will in the sense that he's supposed to be accusing so that God can justify and and defend, right? So it's not this sort of Satan who has this equal ultimate power fighting against God. It, you know, in a way he's even uh being used by God for God's purposes. Right.
0: So it's all, mm-hmm. it, it 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 is a lot like the court courtroom system where you know the uh the defendant uh, isn't the evil person, or you know what I'm saying. If uh, if you're defending the if you're the a cor- criminal,
1: especially if you're a court appointed lawyer right. or something, you're part of the system, right? You're yes. just
0: playing the part of the uh, adversary. <laughs> yes, right. it makes well, so
1: right. so you know this this whole storyline. I mean, it covers like uh, Enoch, Noah, and, and Gilgamesh, which is extra biblical. Uh, but then you 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 take it on through. Uh, into Abraham, Joshua, Caleb, and now your most recent book is about David. Yeah. So in in this in this new book, um, what's the scope of it? I mean, is it is it covered
2: the whole life of David? No, that would be way too much. That would be a thousand pages or more, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. That's what it's, I was kind of wondering. <laughs> it's basically the the rise of David to the throne. So it ends with him becoming th- uh, king in Jerusalem and the last sort of the last wiping out of the giants, because you know. Again, what's my premise of my series? I'm going to tell the stories where the giants appear and King David was the Messiah of Israel, you know, Messiah means anointed one. Jesus Christ is is the the ultimate Messiah, but David was the type of Messiah that that foreshadowed Christ, right? So, you know, David and and over Israel as king, David wiped out all the giants and we never re- read about them again. And so that's I'm only telling the stories where the giants appear. And, of course, most people think, oh, yeah, Goliath, the giant, right? Well, Goliath is just one <laughs> small element. Yeah, we were going to bring that up. Yeah. Of that story. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot. Uh, there, There's more than
0: one giant is what you're saying. Dude. What? What?
2: <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> and it's not. It's not made up. Now I do fill in the lines because there's there's a, a f- I, what I discovered was there's a few passages in First Chronicles, Second Samuel, Second Samuel twenty one, if people want to look it up, or First uh, Chronicles eleven, Second Samuel's twenty three, Second Samuel twenty three. I'm sorry. Anyway, there's these passages that do reference in the context of various battles that came up. Ah, uh, they name. They even name several of the giants. Right, Let me just read right. a couple of these for you. For instance, there's Ish in Second Samuel 21. Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze. I think that's like eight or nine pounds. Who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David, but Abishai, David's uh, one of his mighty men, killed that Philistine. Then it then it names another one. Um, who's, who's going after David, N- another giant, descendant of the giants, named Saph, but Sibbecai killed him. And then it lists Lami, the brother of Goliath, in 1 in, uh, Chronicles. Mm. And so there's actually five other giants mentioned in the text, three of them are named and two of them aren't, and they're all described in the context of go- hunting down David. And in various battles. And this really strikes me as interesting because it's like, wow, it's almost like the giants are deliberately going after the Messiah. And the Messiah is deliberate. And then it talks about how David, you know, uh, basically, like I said, after these the battles in the Valley of the Rephaim, and the word Rephaim is the word for giant. Right. So Goliath was a Rephaim. Well, guess what? After David wipes out the Philistine uh, in the va- Philistines in the valleys of, of the Rephaim, we don't hear of these giants anymore. So it's sort of like he <laughs> is the symbol of what Christ will do in terms of the seed of the serpent. Right. Because this oh, all goes cool. back to – Genesis 3, 15, where God is cursing the serpent. He says, your seed will be at war with the seed of Eve, yeah. and they, you, you will bite his heel, and he will crush your head. And that's the first messianic promise of crushing the head of the serpent. And so the whole series is about these 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 giants are sort of the seed of the serpent, and as well as the Canaanites, but the giants sort of represent the Nephilim, represent that seed of the serpent that's at war trying to pollute corrupt the human bloodline and stop Messiah. Mm. And that's sort of the storyline that I'm telling. And so by the time of David, <clears throat> these giants are actually the warriors, and they're, they're mighty warriors who are hunting David. And so I thought, wow, that's interesting. And we don't know hear anything else about them. So I decided to tell their story, go into the Philistine culture, and, and go into their background, including the background of Goliath and his brother, and yeah, these other I... guys that show how they all teamed up and became a military cult dedicated to the destruction of the Messiah king.
1: Yeah, see, I often wonder how these giants got teamed up with the Philistines because we have no evidence that the Philistines themselves were giants. Obviously, um, they, they had their. Goliath was like a champion for them. Well,
0: at, wasn't at one of the kings.
1: Well, maybe it wasn't a Philistine
0: king. Whose bed was as big as no, no, uh, that, no that
2: was Og of Bashan, uh, in, Bashan, yeah. Right. That's but on the other side. He was a Rephaim, <laughs> yeah. And, and no, that's a very good question. And and here's the answer to that, is that the Philistines were were come from the Sea Peoples, which were from the Mycenaeans and the Aegean coast and the Greeks and stuff. Right. Uh, you know, like a uh, generations earlier, they had they had basically settled on the coast, and then they started to try to take over, and then the Egyptians whomped them. And they became vassals of the Egyptians, so they were allowed to keep their coastal cities, and they were, you know, big trade, import, outpour, export. But um, the bottom line here is, is that because they came and conquered land, then uh, obviously they would also assimilate various other tribes and various other peoples. And uh, these okay. giants are called Rephim. The, wor- the the Hebrew behind the word descendants of the giants is actually Yelid HaRafah, and the Rapha is the giant. And um, so they are indigenous. So basically, I have them as indigenous to the land of Canaan, but they join up with the Philistines because the Philistines are conquering, and you know who you know people like to be you know be with the winner, right? And they right. certainly don't like the Israelites. <laughs> well,
1: and plus it was it was it was cultural to assimilate the people that yes. you conquered. I mean, and right. try to breed them out. I I don't know if they tried to breed the giants
2: out. <laughs> yeah, in fact, the, the description of of Goliath's armor is not, it's not even essentially Philistine. It's actually a mixture of like Mycenaean, a little bit of Egyptian, uh, you know, so in a way they, you know, that represents the fact, I think that they were, you know, yeah, they were assimilated and they drew from various other cultures. And, and that was a part of that expression. So what, what age do you have David at in your... Well, I start, I start, I actually start way back before David when he was born. And I start with Goliath as an, because Goliath is an older man by the time he meets David. And I have Goliath actually involved in the stealing of the Ark of the Covenant, which actually did happen. We don't know. Who right, it.
1: right. We were talking about uh, that, that before the show. Of, yeah.
2: yeah, that sets up this sort of feud, that thing with between Goliath and Israel and stuff like that. And, um, but then I, so I come in when david's a young shepherd boy right before he meets goliath uh, about 17 years old and i follow him from there until he actually becomes king saul dies and david becomes king um i, I can't remember he's like age 30 or something so i do jump i jump like 25 years uh, and then i jump a, a few years in the text in order to keep the story moving yeah um but it ends with david becoming king over jerusalem yeah, and judah because i think it's
1: like what 40 years later by the time the last giant falls if I yeah, if I recall. Like yes. Yeah, because so, like uh yeah, and I always just thought, I mean, I knew the other giants were there, but my I guess how I'd always read it was that they were seeking revenge because of Goliath's fall. But yes. I really like where you're going with with it as it being a war between the seed you right. know and, and the chosen seed and um and Satan. So
2: well, certainly Lamy, his Goliath's brother, would have revenge on his mind, I would, and I have that in the text. You know, sometimes you've heard sermons where people say, you know, David had five stones because Goliath had four of the brothers. Right. Uh, some people think these giants were his brothers, but there's no indication in the text that they were. Uh, the, the phrase, they, I think they get that from descendants of the giants or something like that, but what, no. Right. They, the sons of Rapha, or whatever it's Yeah, says. well, I call them in my, in my Bible, I sort of update that phrase and call it the sons of Rapha, because that term, descendant of the giants... Um, uh, one scholar has pointed out that that is actually kind of like a phrase that might be a reference to a military cult. And uh-huh. so I sort of updated it and called it, um, sons of Rafa, which makes you think of sons of anarchy and stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah. So plus it's a counterbalance to sons of God, right? Right. So I updated that and, and it's, it's a military cult then. And, um, so yeah, they, they sure there's some revenge that plays into a couple of the characters, but by and large, no, these are just giants and they are, they are part of that seed of the serpent. And, and, you know, in the meanwhile, David, you know, how are you going to do David any differently? You know, I mean, (laughs) I I don't want to depart from the text, but I also want to sort of do what hasn't been done. And. I basically picked up three things from David, you know, uh, when you read the text, he's the man after God's own heart. He had a passion for God, but he also had a passion. He was a a big roller coaster in his spiritual life, right? Right. He, um, uh, this is all, I don't get into Bathsheba or any of that. This is all before that, but. He has a character that he also has a passion for women because he ended up being the first king. You know, Saul only had one wife. David had multiple wives. So right right away he starts that mess because he has a weakness for women. (laughs) And then the Bible says that he didn't get to build God's temple because he was too much of a man of bloodshed. So David is not a perfect man. He is a sinner. And he is... You know he he extorts sometimes he lies inappropriately sometimes, right. and I show those sins because the main point here is that it, you know, biblical heroes are not perfect. It's God who's perfect, and God is the one who's accomplishing yeah. His purposes through sinful people, which gives us the hope in our life, doesn't? Yes,
1: it? Amen. That's why I was saying it. You know, you can really relate to this guy because he does struggle so much, and one of the things that I've come across some by just reading from his writings and Psalms and this sort of thing is one thing that I notice about David that I don't notice in a lot of the other uh, Old Testament writers is that David seems to really understand grace, yes. whereas that was not an Old Testament concept, y- concept really. Not
0: really. And, I
1: mean, even though it was there, it was there all over the place. Yeah. But the writers don't, like, lean on it. Whereas that's David, like in Psalms 51, says you don't desire sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. Right. And then and he says, what you want is a broken and contrite heart. Yeah. And yes. so he understood that God was a God of mercy and grace. And I think this is largely why God refers to him as a man after his heart. It's not because he was righteous Acting or perfect yeah, or, or anything, anything like that, yeah. but because he understood that he is a ragamuffin, as we've talked about on the show right. before, You're yeah. Good.
2: Good. And and I try I I try to make that come out in the text because I agree with you that grace is the theme and the grace is ultimately tied to Messiah. So there's forward-looking uh, uh, concepts and images that come up in the story as well um, that's reflected in David. So yeah, absolutely, grace.
0: Man, I, I just I love the whole story itself, the concept of the story. It, it is a lot. Uh, reminds me of Lewis and Tolkien and all that with the fantasy genre. But what I love about it is, you know, where Lewis and Tolkien use allegory so much, you're actually taking the biblical story and bringing out things that we, you know, we've kind of uh, lost in, uh, in transition. Does well, we've sense?
1: seen all this stuff in children's storybooks for so long that we've become you know um i don't know tainted about what it re- what really happened right yeah you know we've got yeah. this false view of this this really clean looking picture you know david takes the head off of goliath right
2: <laughs> yeah oh i i have him carrying the rotting skull of goliath around oh, nice. oh yeah, yeah. and i also have uh you know i also have um The I depict the depravity of the Philistine culture, which also you know sacrifices uh children um to Molech and such. So I have the depravity in there, as well as the men on David's side were not very good men because don't forget it's you know when it says he gathered 600 around him, they were mostly riffraff and discontented men and rebels. Oh, yeah, so these guys weren't very good guys themselves. And Joab and Abishai, his closest you know, two of his closest guys, um. They were the things they did were not really very good. It it was almost like they they uh, they they were behind David, right or wrong. So they didn't care if what David did was wrong. Correct. Whereas Nathan the prophet (laughs) and even Benaiah, (laughs) his uh, captain of the bodyguard, these guys would challenge David, you know, and say, "Hey, you know, uh, is this right before God?" But uh, some of the guys didn't like Joab and Abishai, well, you, you know, know, and so jo- I show that in there because the the Bronze Age Israel is a is a dirty, dirty violent time. world, it's a
0: rough and well, You place. know
2: the, and it's funny,
1: it's really cool that you're using it this way because the way I read Joab, it's like D- he did David's dirty work a lot of the time. Yes, and what and and to such a point that I think it corrupted Joab even further because you know the, the whole thing with, with Absalom. Became a big problem with David because he didn't want Absalom killed. Right. And, you know, on his deathbed, one of the things he tells his son, one of the things he tells Solomon, he's like, I need you to take care of this Joab guy because I have failed to do
2: it. After Joab had so faithfully served him. Right. Other stories. Right. Right. You're right. Wow. It it corrupted him. In other words, he, I think that, I think that Joab, um, and his brother, Abishai, may have just become corrupted by, by the violence and the world that they were a part of, which is also a realistic mm-hmm. dealing with, you know. Well, look how they handled Abner. And that was not even what David wanted. Yeah, exactly. In fact, David got ticked off at them. and he, In fact, I believe he cursed Joab at one point. Correct. Because Joab was going too far, he would be too extreme. Yeah. he didn't he didn't understand Grace and I have that in the story. I have wow. Joab not understanding grace huh that's cool so I tried I try in all the different characters of the story I try to bring out different elements of imperfect or messy mixy complex characters that, some understand grace, some don't. Some uh, no, some forgive, some don't. I even try to wrestle with the issue of, you know, hey, can a Nephilim be redeemed? Even, you know, I mean, that's <laughs> right? A, it's certainly a question to to ask. I don't know what the answer yeah. is fully. Well, you know, the the the, the, all.
1: the early church fathers believed that the Nephilim were. I mean that the the demons that inhabited people's bodies were the disembodied souls of nephilim.
2: Yes. Because they and had I, no place to go. <laughs> exactly. And I kind of operate on that on that principle as well, which is in the book of Enoch. But um uh, and it is in, in the tradition of the church, um but it's interesting because what we think of nowadays, you know, and this by the way this touches on the the evil spirit that taunts that taunts, um, uh, Saul. Oh yeah. I won't say I actually, he's a very specific evil spirit and I won't say what it is, because if you're reading the series, it's going to be really cool by the oh, time yeah. you do this. It's going to blow your mind. Don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't, so for those who just want to get the book and read David Ascending, because they love the story of David, I tried to write the book as a standalone book, and you'll still appreciate it, because I do explain things. Um, it's not going to be confusing to you, but um, even more, you'll appreciate it in the series. And and so I operate on that, because if you think about it, some of our ideas about demons are very much enculturated as well by our modern world and modern right. Christian... There was just is not necessarily biblical for example the bible doesn't say that that evil spirits are fallen angels we all assume that but it doesn't but it you know it does say the sons of god are fallen but but The angels in the Bible do have some kind of corporeal existence. They have physical bodies because they can eat. Right. And I think of them as probably similar to Christ's resurrected body, where you know, yeah, they can enter in and out of you know between physical reality and spiritual dimensions. However, that works, I don't know. But there is still a physicality to them that isn't the same as in evil spirits or demons. Right. And so
1: I, I, you know, I question. Well, think about about. Think about when Jesus cast out legion, the legion from the the, the men in the cemetery. There, what did, what did what was their request? Don't leave us disembodied. Put yeah. us into those pigs over there. Right. You know. Of course. Then they yeah. ran off into the ocean. <laughs> but the but but you know the idea was like they needed a host that they yes. weren't they weren't comfortable without being inside of somebody or something.
2: Right. Yes. But whereas angels, they actually have a f- semi-physical presence. They have swords that can kill men, right?
1: Right, right. Remember
2: how you know the heavenly host are are kind of like interdimensional beings, basically. And demons are not; they're just they're spiritual beings, and they don't have bodies. But angels do. So what those bodies are, uh, it's weird. I don't know. But but there's a difference there. And my point is, is just that how you know I try to re-examine a lot of our own modern-day Christian you know assumptions that are not necessarily biblical. And it's dangerous to, to go and retell Bible stories because people have their, you know, their views. And if you don't follow their interpretation, <laughs> right. then you're uh, c- cursed or anathema. Or well, you, <laughs> you just know. think
1: about how everyone responded to the Noah movie, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. And of course, I responded kind of bad to that too, but...
2: Yeah, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it but it wasn't because it departed from details in the Bible. Rather, it was the meaning behind yeah, it. Yeah, it had a different agenda. Um, and that's agenda. one thing that I can, I can affirm for everybody who, who will have some trouble with like, well, you're pushing the envelope and you're playing with the holy word of god i'm not really i'm staying true to what i believe is the the messianic the christ uh the grace message of the bible in in every way and and i'm trying to write a theological novel not a you know this is what really happened because i know because we don't know (laughs) right right that's awesome all right so tell
0: us a little bit about the uh lion men of moab yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: I saw that in the in the little trailer online. Yeah, that's
2: you know, this is another one of those sort of strange passages that show up in the Bible and w- scholars aren't entirely sure what what it means, but Uh, I try to deal with all those eclectic, strange passages. (laughs) Make them mean something. (laughs) Yeah. And in 2 Samuel 23, it says, uh, "Beniah was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two Ariel's of Moab. The word Ariel is is Hebrew, and and sometimes they just transliterate it because they're not entirely sure what it is. Some (laughs) translations call it Lion Men of Moab. And
0: uh,
2: (laughs) yeah, so it's kind of (laughs) interesting because... There's another passage that in 1 Chronicles 12 talks about these Gadites who, who joined David and they were expert, w- experienced warriors with shield and spear whose faces were like the faces of lions and who were swift as gazelles upon the mountains. Now, your first response would be, well, of course, that's metaphor, so that doesn't mean it's literal. But but this faces were like and it didn't say like fought, fought like lions but the faces were like the face of lions and it happens to be correlating as well with the word ariel of moab line men of moab and so there's some belief that there these might be chimeric creatures of some kind you know um and so i i sort of take that and i push it and and uh, this man. might be connected to that <laughs> genetic <laughs> so miscegenation good. that the watchers did you know so, I have these lion wow. men of Moab who are mighty yeah. warriors, and they kind of have manes and they look a little bit like lions, you know, kind of like were lions instead of werewolves. Oh, right? that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and that was one thing that I thought was cool about
1: the books I've read so far is that you do have these chimeras bouncing around all over the place. And anytime someone sees them and they haven't seen one before, they're like, whoa, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and, then it's, and then the explanation always comes, oh, that was the angels, the fallen angels goofing around with with God's. Uh, creation, creation and, yeah. and uh,
2: the, the basic meaning of that is I do have this, you know, and there's a modern day, uh, a lot of Christians are talking about this, and you know the the genetic tampering is very much similar to what went on before the flood. I, I don't necessarily I don't know where I stand on that stuff. I'm not into all that, but, I do think that there might have been some kind of genetic tampering back then because if these angels who are much smarter than us, right, they're from heaven, they have a lot more knowledge than we do, they might be able to do that kind of stuff. And but what's the point of it? I think the point of it would fit in this is why the Bible, the Old Testament so so focuses on holiness, separation, right? And and there even talks about don't, you know, separate your seeds, separate your clothes, this kind of stuff, but also separation from gentiles. And the holiness has to do with – is also reflected in God's creative activities where he says he create, he separates male from female, land from sea, the heavens from the earth, right? Humankind from God. And so I think that the purpose behind all that genetic tampering, if it did happen – um, which there is some possibility it did, because after all, if angels can come and mate with human women and create giants, which are hybrids of angels and humans, then maybe they could do other stuff. And <laughs> so, to me, that's a theological expression. Whether you you don't have to believe it really happened, but the, the theological expression that's going on is. That they're violating the separateness of creation, mixing everything, messing everything up, trying to pollute and corrupt everything because it violates that separated holiness that God wants to keep in in creation. And isn't it ironic, the reflection of what's going on today, where where in our culture— it's insane, but it's we're 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 actually living in the midst of this, where people are trying to deny the genders. They're trying to deny there's any difference between male, and female. You can def, you can call yourself any gender you want. <laughs> mm. They're trying to to completely deny that separated genderness of male, female, which is rooted in God's created order.
0: Man, that's a great point you bring up. We're we're actually in my youth group. We're doing a a Bible study on. Uh, cultural tie-ins, and that's one of the things they're bringing up is that everything is questionable now. You know, are you male? Are you female? What are you? You know, and you shouldn't push a, a child to to choose a gender until they're ready to choose a gender. It's all this messed up idealism. Well,
2: and, to which and, I want to say, where where are all the people crying anti science? You know, they're always calling uh, Christians <laughs> and creationists anti science, mm. and yet. A, a, and yet, when this comes along, that is completely—they deny science when they say that. That's right. They're denying science.
1: And but you know, this whole chimera thing also lends itself to—and this plugs in with the way you're you're handling, um, you know, where some of the pagan cultures came from. And uh, you look in like all the hieroglyphs and stuff, and you see these Horus, yes, you know, where it's the the bird-headed man or the Anubis, which is the the dog-headed man and uh of course you know these chimeras show up in right in in these books and so uh i think it's really cool that oh that's where you know, supposedly we're getting the hieroglyphs from.
2: <laughs> yeah. In, in so. other words, I, I kind of wanted to, to exp, I want to, if I'm going to tell the Bible story, I want to also sort of explain, well, but what about the other, you know, because everyone always says, well, what about these other pagan religions and why did they believe differently? And I want to sort of show a, a spiritual theological origin for where that stuff came from.
1: Oh, cool. Right. So um, what about the uh, witch of Endor?
2: You cover her? I do. <laughs> and here's a very fascinating thing. The word, you know, we use the word witch and, you know, technically you can use the word, but it's pretty sloppy and inaccurate because the Hebrew word is the word ob, ob. And I actually use the word Ob in my text because that's more accurate. And obes were really necromancers and mediums. They they called up people from the dead. And, yeah, they might engage in sorcery. So technically you could call it a witch. But, you know, when we say the word witch, you know what we think of is more of our modern-day version. Right. Yeah, but ob was Yeah, an Ob is more of a necromancer and such. So he visits the Ob of Endor. And guess what one of the giant's names is in, in the Bible? I read you one of the names already. It's Ishbi Benob. Ishbi oh, ob that's correct. And in Hebrew, the word "ben" means "son of," right? Uh huh. Benai, or I'm sorry, um, the Benai, or, or I'm sorry. You'll hear like Joshua Ben Nun, right? Right. Joshua, son of Nun. And in this case, it's possible I interpret that it, that word Ishbi Ben, son of Ob. Ob. So. Ishbi is son of an ob, so that's one of the giants that I actually suggest may be the son of a of a necromancer. So he has a sort of demonic bodyguard around him because you know how the generational curse and in, in spiritual curses and yeah. families, I have that take place uh. in one of the giants. Oh, that's cool! Oh, that's interesting. Well, there's they, a lot of cool stuff in there. It, <laughs> I was I came into David thinking, oh, I'm not going to have as much wild stuff as I had in Noah, and there might not be because there's <laughs> obviously a little bit more historical. But, but there's still an amazing amount of wild stuff that shows up in yeah. the biblical text, and I sort of embellish it and make it come alive. I always found that visit to the witch of Endor to be
1: somewhat uh, funny. You know, I mean, because I think you know God has this sense of humor that we don't yeah. often. You know, give him credit for, but you, you know, because in the in that particular instance, whenever Samuel comes out of this uh, 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 of this situation, <laughs> it's like the the witch is like totally surprised, shocked. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, wait a minute, this wasn't supposed to really happen. Yeah, yeah, that's the impression you get. <laughs> and of course, whenever he he speaks to Saul, he's like, "What are you bothering me for? You're going to be with me tomorrow." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll see you tomorrow, bud. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh wow, it's great. So Brian, I'm looking forward to getting to this book. It's um, it's been really cool so far, and I'm going to try and go through it. You know every every step of the way. So I'm I'm going to be getting there eventually.
0: Right.
1: But (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. I really like what you've done with the. I think it's faithful to the Bible and it's faithful to the message. And at the same time, it gives us this um, this newness that we like like uh, this mystical storytelling type of
0: it, it allows you to fantasy to the, yeah, almost it allows and, you to come to scripture with an a, a new refreshed look and yeah. uh, it it just brings life to your to your Bible study again and uh, that's one of the things I'm really excited about I'm I'm still on uh, I'm still on Noah by the way just because I uh, uh got rid of my Kindle and now I have an iPad and David hasn't <laughs> taught me how well, to put it on there yet. But, but, but and I'll, I will
1: I will tell you also that I've gotten um let's see, at least three other people reading these
2: books. Cool that I know <laughs> well, of. Guys, can I say something too that uh which is a reference to what you're saying is that's one of the reasons why, at the end of each of my books, I put an appendix oh, yeah. where I explain well, actually, the biblical research behind it and the historical research. Precisely because I knew some people might be freaked out and go, "Where did, he's making this stuff up?" No, I'm actually not. You know, and for those who really want to get back, get deeper into the text, it'll help lead you there. And um, you know, Michael Crichton did that with his novels. You know, he would at the back of his novels he'd have the real science that his fiction was based on. And so I, I thought I'd do the same thing. And people, some people have told me they, they love the appendixes as much as they love the novels. <laughs> right. So I went ahead and put them all into their own book. Now, all the, I took all the appendices out and made a separate book called when giants were upon the earth. And, uh, people have been buying that by the droves as well.
1: Huh? That's, that's awesome.
2: And For those who just want the theology straight without the novel, which right. I actually, I think you'll miss <laughs> out a lot, on a lot, but what can I say? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm content with going through the story with the narrative first and, yeah. and then picking up yeah. on it. But, you know, because, well, I, when you first mentioned that, the first idea that came to my mind was Frank Herbert. Because I read, you know, Dune years yeah. and years and years ago. And <laughs> half of that book is the glossary.
2: <laughs> oh, but, yeah, yeah. But the
1: difference between the two is that Frank Herbert got you lost in his narrative. So much so that you had to constantly turn back to the glossary to understand what was going on. Oh, yeah. And and I, it's not the same with this. I mean, you can you can fully understand what's going on, but the appendices give you a great understanding of where you came up with with the ideas and the right. concepts that are in there.
2: So, yeah. And, you know, it, it really does, though, also, ca- it does express where I am um, in terms of theologically myself, where... Um, quite frankly, I have been too theologically focused in my life, uh, more intellectual, too academic, uh, too mental in my faith, and really the Bible is a story, and it communicates truth and theology through story, not through systematic theology, and that's, that's right. why I think that's what these books do is they communicate those truths through narrative, through story, And uh, but nevertheless, there's still... You know, I feel like we're in a transition period where some people still need a little bit a little bit of encouragement because they're more in the mental state and right. and they're you know, and and I'm like that. I'm like both sides. I love reading scholarly work, but then I love watching movies and reading novels. So, you know, I, I try to be a both and person and that's what I think these novels end up doing.
0: I think it's easier for people to accept it, uh, accept truth if it's systematized rather than uh yeah. taught the story. And so it's it's very easy for me especially, you know, I, I kind of grew up in the same, uh, way you did, but, uh, very, uh, a reformed <laughs> theology. And, uh, it's very easy to, to try to put everything in a nice, nice box. Oh yeah. And right. And, uh, but you know, whenever, whenever you hear something new, like, you know, uh, in, in scripture, like demons aren't, you know, uh, dead, uh fallen angels, you know, uh, it just blows everything apart. <laughs> so uh, it's, 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 uh, it's
1: much more fascinating to get the story side of your theology. Right, Which right. Too. Cool so um Brian tell us how we how we can get David ascendant where is it available yeah this is really
2: important of course you can get all the information there the website chronicles of the has tons of free articles cool artwork you know trailers uh, free videos real cool stuff but it just so happens right now until December 20th I just started a faith launcher campaign where uh, because I'm I'm trying to rec- I'm trying to raise money to record the audiobook for David Ascendant, but this isn't a charity thing. It's not a donation thing. Right now, until December twentieth, if they go to Faith Launcher and look up the David Ascendant um, uh, uh, whatever campaign, um, you can end up getting all of the Chronicles of the Nephilim for cheaper than you can normally on Amazon. Huh. Because what I do is I'm raising money. So if you give a certain amount of money, you can get all these different f- cool gifts. And some of them are the books. But they also have rare editions of hardcover that you can't get anywhere else. I've got a ton of different posters for the whole series that are really cool that you can't get anywhere else. So I'm offering all these products, including any one of the novel Chronicles of the Nephilim novels in audiobook or Kindle. If you just give different amounts of money, you can get these, and you'll get more for your money than if you bought them straight out at Amazon. So right now is the, is the time to be able to get wow. a good deal by going to com and look up David Ascendant or Brian Gadawa, and you'll find it okay. there. So it's like a crowdsourcing thing. Yeah, it's crowdsourcing totally, okay, but awesome. it's a, it's a Christian version of Kickstarter. Right, and uh, <laughs> that's yeah, so, cool. I've never heard of that. That's oh cool. yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty neat. You know, they they wanted to to offer it for people who have ministry oriented things, and of course, you know, you're gonna get some goofy ministry things like you know, fund my you know my my new magic. My, my new uh, uh, gift <laughs> from God or something, you know. You get some things sometimes, but they're pretty responsible actually uh, at at the website, and so people are raising things for mission trips as well as That's a good idea, you know, books or something like that. It's it's cool. Okay,
1: awesome. Wow. well, thanks again for being here, Brian. we We enjoyed it. I'm sure we will have you back on. We really enjoyed talking with you and great. And thanks everything. guys so.
0: yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun
1: talking with a true Renaissance man. so <laughs> <laughs> so there's many ways you can get a hold of us here at the Theo Notch. You can uh, visit us at gctnetwork.com, dot com and uh, we will put the show notes there. We'll put links to the things that that Brian mentioned and his uh, his books on there as well. And um, you can reach, reach out on email and talk to us at theonots at gctnetwork.com. You can also head over to Facebook and check us out at our Facebook page, uh, uh, facebook.com
0: backslash Theonauts. Or you can go to our Twitter and check us out at Theonautical and uh, leave some comments, some feedback. Let us know how awesome we are, how horrible we are, and uh, (laughs) always tell us how awesome God is.
1: Yeah, and and go in there and, and iTunes, Stitcher Radio, give us some stars, give us some comments there. That'll help people find us. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to continue to spread God's word through this medium. That's right. All right. Thanks for being here, Jeremiah. Thanks, David. Thanks again, Brian. God bless Thank you, guys. All right. God bless you guys. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's
0: 972-885-7270. Love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission.
2: At GCT Network. This is, your, oh. great
0: this is your great commission
2: transmission. Woo!